Hey guys, it's me, Jess Nelson. Before we get into our next episode of My Cancer Story podcast, I want to share an amazing company with you. They're not a sponsor of the show, but this company has really come through in the clutch for me and my family through this time, and I wanted to share the love with you all. They're called Labor of Love Aprons. My husband and I were running low on masks, and for being out in LA County, they require that you wear them while you're in public. Then we realized that a good friend of ours was making these beautiful aprons and started making these beautiful face masks when this for when the pandemic first started. If you are at all in need of some masks that fit great, have really cute patterns, my favorite are the flamingos, and don't irritate your ears, check them out on Instagram at Labor of Love Aprons or at their website www.laboroflove.aprons.com. I hope to have her on the show in upcoming months because she too is a cancer survivor. Thank you so much, Nicole, for sharing the love and your amazing talent with us all. Now back to the show. Okay. Hello, everyone, and welcome to my Cancer Story podcast. I'm Jessica Nelson. I am your host uh, for our second interview ever for the podcast. And I would love to welcome one of my very good friends, one of my oldest friends, Joe Ann Warner. Um, welcome, Joe. Thank you for having me, Jess. I'm very excited. You're welcome. I'm so excited to have you too. <laughs> I wish you were in person, but this this I will know. be a close second. I know. It's as close as I've come to an actual person in 13 years now, it feels like. <laughs> It's been like eight weeks, but whatever. I, that's still a long time. Uh, my in-laws are in town and I Ooh. hugged them and I was like, oh my God, you're the first Aww. people I've hugged other than my husband. I haven't hugged anybody. Yeah. I mean, I like hugging Mark, but I know I almost like hugged the lady at Costco today just because she was nice, but. But you're like, oh, air hug. They frown upon that there. Yeah. It's, they don't like it. Touching's a no-no. <laughs> no. Don't touch me there. No, bad touch. <laughs> oh my God, we already digressed. Uh, <laughs> it's okay. It's not your fault. It's not your fault at all. Um, so Joe, um, once again, welcome. Uh, Joe is also a survivor of cancer. Um, she is a survivor of breast cancer and probably one of the first friends that I knew of at a young age having cancer. So um, it's a... Uh, going to be a brand new story this week and we're going to let her tell her story. Um, it's going to be kind of free flowing like it was last time, um, you know, with a, a few uh, of the same questions and everything like that, but we'll probably go off on a tangent, but you know, that's, that's the whole, whole point. We want the audience and the listeners to get to know you and your story and, and how you've overcome and, and gotten past it and worked through it. So welcome Joe again. Thank you. <laughs> Oh, go. Is that my cue? No, it's okay. No, it's okay. So Joe, um, that was super <laughs> awkward. And I wish that I was good enough to cut that out. Go ahead and introduce video. yourself. Um, what kind of cancer you have and, Oh, you know what? Before that, see, I'm like, I'm like off my game today. So Joe and I know each other. Uh, we've known each other since 2002. Two? Really? 2003? Maybe. Yeah. College. Yeah. College. Anyway, we've known each other for a long time. We met at, um, a camp in upstate New York where 
uh, they recruited all the best looking college people to be camp counselors at this really expensive camp for Jewish rich, kids. Rich yeah. Jewish kids. Yeah. 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 <laughs> so um, she and I have just stayed friends since we both lived in Arizona at the same time and, and just kept crossing paths throughout the years and just stayed really good friends after that. Um, even lived together for a little bit. I lived in her we closet. Did. <laughs> It was the best closet roommate I've ever had. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah, uh, Joe, I'll let you take it from here. Um, Thank you. Uh, just kind of tell me a little bit, start with your story, and then we'll, we'll just kind of ask questions along the way. Thanks, Jess. Yeah. Um, so I think, like you said, I was probably one of the first people I knew in our friend group or, you know, in my mid-20s who was uh, diagnosed with a cancer. Um I've always had just lumpy breasts. I think that's a very common thing in women. Um, but in, in one of my visits to a doctor, they did a biopsy on a lump and found that it, it wasn't okay. There was something wrong with it. So um, they took it out and that just sort of started my, my road with cancer. Um, every six months or so, I was going in for biopsies, for ultrasounds, for mammograms. Um, mind you, I'm in my early 20s. Um, and every time I'd have to go in, they'd find a, a new lump or a new bump or something and they'd test it and they'd biopsy it and I'd have to wait for the results. And um, I spent most of my 20s like that. Um, when I moved to Arizona, I was 25, 26. And um, my boyfriend at the time found a lump on the top part of my, my breast. And it just, it felt like it was out of nowhere, but it was, it was also pretty big. It was about the size of a golf ball. Um, so I went, uh, I had just moved to Arizona, like I said, I went to a doctor I found through my insurance listing, um, and he was a pretty horrendous man, like, oh. um, he just had really bad, bad side manner, I didn't know that I could go look for a new doctor, I didn't know there was such thing as like a breast specialist, um, so I just sort of stuck with him through the biopsy. When he came in with my results, though, he had asked me to come in to get my results, um, I was on a lunch break from work. And, you know, I'm sitting there, I'm in that horrible cotton robe that doesn't quite close. Um, it looks like a bad fashion statement. And he walks in and, and without even looking up, he's holding his papers and he's like, uh, yeah, that's a, that's a phyllodes tumor. That's cancerous. We need to get that out as soon as possible. You can go ahead and uh, schedule up front and then walked out. What the fuck? What the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> there was no education. There was no questions. There was no bedside manner to be spoken of. And like I said, I didn't know any better. So I went and I scheduled my, it's called a lumpectomy. Um, and I'm going to ruin soup bowls for you. And I'm so sorry, but <laughs> imagine a bread bowl and it's basically scooping out the inside to take out the bad, the bad tumor, the bread, the bad tissue around the tumor. So, so like the, um, the soupy part of the bread bowl. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Where they just kind of cut it out. It's gross. <laughs> but, um, so I had a lumpectomy at 26 years old, 25 years old. Um, because of that diagnosis, it was called a phyllodes tumor. Those typically don't happen until a woman is in, is postmenopausal. So the fact that I was in my mid twenties, I was diagnosed with this cancer that just doesn't happen at that age. Um, my doctor didn't tell me anything. It, it was all kind of scary. So I ended up actually going back to work that day that he gave me that diagnosis because I was on my lunch break, my Joe. lunch break. I <laughs> know it was, I, I don't know. This is, I think this is also why I love that you're doing this, 
uh, podcast, why I've written so much about it, because I didn't know. I didn't know how to handle this. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what I talk a lot about is understanding what happens if you get a diagnosis. Mm-hmm. Um, but I went back to my lunch break and my team just sort of looks at me and they're like, what happened? And I said, well, I have cancer. So we all instantly got on Google and started looking up the type of tumor tumor I had. Um, You know, Google at the time, it was like, you have a 50% mortality rate for this type of cancer. And I was like, cool, I'm going (laughs) to die. Like, yeah, it was, it was so overwhelming. And I did all my own research because I didn't know you could find a doctor who would talk to you about this. Mm -hmm. Um, It was scary. It was really lonely too. Um, But yeah, so I went through the lumpectomy. I then realized I could find a different doctor. I could find somebody who just wasn't a shithead. Um, And I found this lady out here. I live in Arizona. um, And she was brilliant. Our first appointment together, she spent almost two hours with me talking about what my diagnosis meant, what that meant for my body, what my options were, like what's happening with my breasts and why are they fighting against me? Because that's the other thing I didn't understand. Like, I had a diagnosis that could kill me and nobody was talking to me about that. And for me, that's what I wanted in a doctor, like obviously competency to get the cancer out, but somebody who was going to share with me, like, what did that mean for me? Mm-hmm. Cause something I've learned over the years is Google isn't going to tell you about your body and your experience and your diagnosis. Mm-hmm. It's going to give you general statistics based on historical data and if I could tell anybody anything, it's don't Google anything. Stay off the fucking internet. It's don't go on WebMD. No, yeah. you're going to die. You're going to die. You have elbow cancer and it's going to kill you. And I'm so yeah. sorry. That's, um, seriously, like, that's what I said. I was like, I'm a dumbass. I went online and started it's scary. a deep, dark hole. <laughs> deep, dark hole for sure. It's just, it's a, it's a pit of despair. It's, mm-hmm. um, it's horrible. And I've learned since that if you have questions, write them down and call your doctor. And if you have a good doctor, they're going to call you back or text you back or make an appointment to answer those questions. Mm-hmm. Um, but this doctor I found, she was incredible. And her and I set together a plan also, um, because mind you, for years now, I've been going in every few months and getting biopsies and ultrasounds and mammograms. Um, her and I set a plan that if anything ever came back as questionable, that I was gonna have a bilateral mastectomy. Mm-hmm. Because at the end of the day, the toll that these tests were taking on me, like it was depressing. I mean, I would go in, I'd set my appointment, I'd wait for the appointment, I'd get poked and prodded, and then I'd wait for the phone call and pray that I wasn't going in for another surgery or having another diagnosis. And that went on for years. So this incredible doctor, um, her and I put this plan together. And for me, it was, it was really comforting because all of a sudden, I had a path that I could go down if I needed. It wasn't this total unknown um, way of living anymore. There was, there was a plan in place and possibly an end in sight too, if anything should come back. Mm-hmm. Um, and something did come back a couple years after that. I was uh, 27, so just after that, um, another phyllodes tumor showed up. And so we, we scheduled a mastectomy um, where, and that's, I mean, everybody knows the word mastectomy, but it's, they essentially cut off both of my breasts. Um, they took a couple, glan- nope, not glands, what's the word? Ducks. Ducks, 
Aha! Mm-hmm. What the? Is it lymph nodes? Yeah, there it is. Oh uh, yeah! Woo, I, ding, ding, ding. I win. <laughs> um, and they take some lymph nodes from either side to make sure nothing had spread. Um, and there was like a couple follow up appointments to that, but but really for me that was the end of this threat of these specific tumors coming back in my body. Um, and it was the best decision I ever made. It was the right decision for me. Um, and I've been really, really fortunate since then that I've not had another diagnosis. Um, but once you hear that word, I don't know, Jess, if you've experienced this, like you hear that sentence, you, you have cancer. Mm-hmm. And now every time for me, and it's, I think I'm always going to have to figure out how to live with this, but um, like if I have a pain in my side, I instantly go to cancer. Like, mm-hmm. is this another diagnosis waiting to happen? Like, mm-hmm. is this going to be the thing that kills me? And I know that's a really morbid thought, but that's something that does happen after you get that initial diagnosis. You just sort of, everything goes in that direction. It's just always back there. It's the back of your, your brain. Like, yeah. what if? Like, is, is what it if? come yeah. back? Is this kind of tissue going to grow again? Is it going to yep. go someplace else? Did it make it to lymph nodes throughout my body? Like, did it make it there? Yeah, yeah. And that I, that for me was terrifying for a number of years. Like, what if it did metastasize and it's in my ribs or it's in my bones or organs? Um, and I've had friends end up with stage four cancer. You know, which is where it's metastasized into the bone or organs, and that's just something they're living with now. And it's it sucks. It just sucks. Um, but yeah, that, that for me, that mastectomy was sort of, I think the end of this long road of when are my boobs going to kill me and moving on to this, um, how do I start my life now? How do I move past this and into, um, you know, becoming a wife, becoming a mom, um, starting a new career, staying in Arizona and moving to the suburbs of Gilbert. Um, how do I become a person who isn't just identified by this diagnosis? And I think for a long time, I felt that I really was. And a lot of that's on me. Cause I, I think I mentioned this, I write, I, I process by writing. Um, and I wrote a lot about my, my diagnosis and how people can help other people. Um, and that, I think that helped me through some really weird and dark times. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's like you, you touched on so much <laughs> and I like, I kind of just want to go back a little bit. Like, I love the fact that you and the, the female doctor, the second doctor you had actually made a plan. It was just like, in knowing you, you're organized and very concise and you have a goal set in mind. And for somebody just to tell you have cancer, you're like, Oh, well, shit. What, what do I do now? Like, what do I do now? Yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly. And that's all you can think about. It's just all encompassing and you don't know where to go from there, but to have an ally, somebody in your corner who helps you with this. And she sounds like she treated the patient and not the diagnosis. Yes. Nail on the head, Jess. That's exactly yeah. it. She became a total ally for me. Mm-hmm. She, she was somebody I found comfort in mm-hmm. as opposed to I have to go see my cancer doctor. I have to go see my oncologist. I have to go see my reconstructive surgeon. I got to go see Kimberly. And I mean, she really genuinely was an ally for me in this. Mm -hmm. Um, I also, my, my reconstructive surgeon, (laughs) 
Yeah. He, so let's, let's get into that. Let's, let's yeah. get into reconstruction. <laughs> yeah. I love your, I loved your reconstructive surgeon. He was the best. He, he was the best. He, um, and I think that's something I learned also to, to be a light for others in this really dark time. Um, Dr. Dick was, um, probably five foot tall. He had a giant handlebar mustache and he was as round as Santa Claus. Um, and he, he operated out of Scottsdale, which is just, it's a very LA, New York town. People go there for elective surgeries. They go there to be beautiful. And it's, it is, it's just a gorgeous town. So to have this like pocket sized little elf man <laughs> do my reconstructive surgery, like he was just the best. He, um, he, my name is spelled wrong. Thanks mom and dad. Um, my name is spelled Joan, but it's Joanne. And every time for six months while I was having reconstructive work done, he'd come out into the lobby and he'd say, Joan, uh, Joanne. And I was like, you're being a dick. Like, come on, Bill. So he became Dick Bill and I was Joan Joanne through the whole thing. Um, and they, <laughs> reconstructive surgery, they start with putting expanders. Um, <laughs> <laughs> under the muscle and skin so that as after a mastectomy, your body can heal and then you can expand the skin back out. They do them a lot with burn victims to grow extra skin. Um, so I had these expanders in my chest and they looked square shaped. They yeah. were so awkward. Yeah. That was just a weird summer by the pool. Yeah. Yeah. It no, was... it's, it's, it makes sense on the shape and why they did it that way. But uh -huh. if somebody who didn't know or didn't know you, they'd be oh. like, did somebody get a bad boot job? I don't yeah, know. it looked like I went to like Central America for some shady back alley work or something. It was bad. Um, but every week I had to go in and I had ports where he would, he'd add some saline to expand the expander. And every week he'd say, I bet you'd never had a little man like this coming at you with such a big prick before. I mean, he was making dick jokes while I'm having work done. And it, it just lightened everything. <laughs> and I, I dearly miss the man. He passed away a couple years ago. Um, but he was just the best. He was, he was a good person who wanted to help people feel better. Mm -hmm. um, and while he did a lot of elective work, he worked a lot on burn victims. He worked a lot on cancer patients. Um, he just did good work for people. Um, kind and of going back to like heat bringing shining some light into the darkness, like him, mm -hmm. you know, bringing his specialties and his sense of humor and, and yep. making people's lives, days, weeks, whatever it is better. Better. Um, yeah. I mean, this is a, at the end of the day, it was a cancer appointment. Like mm -hmm. part of my body had tried to kill me mm -hmm. and he was trying to make that part look normal again. And I don't think they'll ever look normal. They look like a battlefield. They're weird, but he wanted to give me some normalcy back in my life. And he did that through laughter and just self-deprecating humor. And I, I absolutely loved him for it. Um, he'd give me books every time I went in, he'd, he'd find some new book on how to swear in a foreign country or um, what it's like to be a short man dating or like just the oh weirdest things. And it, it was just, it was normal. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that's what I needed was not to be the cancer patient, but to be Joanne, to be me and to have normal conversations about normal things that didn't matter. Mm -hmm. um, because all of this is really heavy. Cancer is just, it's heavy. The word itself, is just shitty. It's coming at yeah. you and you're, you, you don't know what to do with it. And it's heavy. And I, I don't know if 
you felt this way. I know you didn't tell a lot of people right away when you got your cancer diagnosis. Mm-mm. I think I found out like a year or two later. Um, yeah. Like I, for one, didn't like to tell people either because I didn't like the feeling of that I got off the person that I told, like um, not pity, but they feel bad for you. And they looked at you differently. They looked at you differently. Like you're fragile. And I didn't want, I didn't want to be fragile. I didn't, I didn't want to admit it myself. Um, so yeah, there's also something, there's something in that it's almost like if, if somebody close to you passes away and people, they don't know what to say. Mm -hmm. I'm so sorry for your loss. They're in a better place now. Everything happens for a reason. There's this, Mm -hmm. Thing where we want to comfort a person who's received a diagnosis or bad news, mm-hmm. but you can't comfort cancer. Mm-hmm. You just can't. It's, it's such a crapshoot for how it's going to turn out and you can't comfort it. And sometimes I think for me, once I did start talking about it, it I needed to make it reality because I, I had some big stuff to face. Like I, you know, I'd had a lumpectomy. I was having biopsies and mammograms and ultrasounds and now I was having a mastectomy it was like okay I I need to figure this out um but that's when I started writing about it too I also found um I I volunteered with the Phoenix Children's Hospital they do a camp up north every summer called Camp Rainbow yeah and they take all of their kids from the oncology department and they put them at camp for a week they do mobile chemo treatments they have you know the mess hall they have horses they have rock walls all these things that these kids can go do to feel normal. And it's the cutest shit ever. Like half the kids there are bald. And when it comes time for like the dessert line or something or the dinner line, they're, <laughs> they're arguing with each other who should go first because, you know, well, I have cancer. Well, I do too. And I still don't have my hair. Well, I lost a leg. I should go first. And <laughs> it was so just, it was summer camp for them. Yeah. It wasn't cancer camp. And I think I found through talking with different people, meeting with different people, um, that to tie it back to what you were saying, it's, there's still people. Mm-hmm. They're not a victim of anything. It's, it's something they're going through, but at the end of the day, they're not to be distanced. They're not to be, you shouldn't be afraid of somebody with a diagnosis. Yeah. Don't be afraid if you don't know what to say, say, I don't know what to say. That's okay. That's probably the best thing to say, especially if you don't know what to say. Because then you can just start talking about it. Yeah. Um, I think that was something for me that changed the most was when people didn't know what to say or they wanted to try to fix it for me. Mm -hmm. And through no ill will, but those relationships changed. Um, It was, I think, the people who came and washed my hair the people who brought me um, food, the people who lit sparklers with me off my balcony for the 4th of July. Justina, thank you for that. Um, the people who just acted, those are the ones who, who made the biggest difference. Um, the people who were there, they didn't need to say anything. Just there's a picture of you holding my hand after my mastectomy. Yeah. And I, that one. I, I, I found it the other day. So <laughs> I was going to try to post it. Um, but it, it's, I don't know, when somebody's diagnosed, it's, you don't have to know what to say. Yeah. Um, and I think sometimes that's better if you don't know what to say, because it's just scary. It's dark and scary. And 
Um, for me, what I what I found is the people who were there, the people who didn't shy away from me, the people who um, just wanted to hold my hand are the ones who who have just really stayed in my heart this whole time. Um, yeah, I'm gonna cry. I don't know why. <laughs> I teared up. <laughs> it's okay. Um, it's it's also something that I think I've tried to to share with people. Um, if you know somebody with a diagnosis. Don't text them that you're thinking about them. Text them that you're on their your way over with ice cream or go walk their dog for them. I had um, my neighbor, Brittany, she watched my dog, Lucy, while I couldn't walk her because of the mastectomy and the surgeries. Um, they just they just took Lucy and loved her. And um, I mean, that wasn't easy for them. And they did it because it's what needed to be done. There's just so many little ways that we can show people that we are thinking about them, even if we don't know what to say. Um, and that's what I want people to learn. It's, you don't have to know what to say. You don't have to know what to do. Just do something. Yeah, that's definitely the actions. And I noticed that the most too. It's just, you know, like you said, through no ill will, mm -hmm. people trying to make me feel better. Well, at least it's only thyroid cancer. <laughs> yes, go fuck yourself. It's still shitty. <laughs> And they still have to cut out part of my body yeah, and, yeah. and my body still failed me. My body still at some point said, I'm going to grow this cancer. Mm -hmm. And unless you do something about it, I'm going to, I'm going to work my way through your body. Mm -hmm. It doesn't matter if it's earlobe cancer, thyroid cancer, or lung cancer, like cancer is cancer is cancer. And mm -hmm. um, that's something I found too. People, people, because I wrote about it a lot, um, but people started to get annoyed with me that I kept talking about breast cancer. Um, but cancer is cancer. My body failed me and tried to kill me. Mm -hmm. Jess, your, your body did the same thing. And just because it could be worse doesn't mean it couldn't be better. Mm -hmm. um, I'm sorry, the pink ribbon annoys people. I love it. I love your, I love your titty talk. I love everything that you post about breast cancer. I love the stories. I love the way you speak, the way you write really resonates with everyone. It's just so eloquent and so well put and you educating people on it, I think has been really huge and kind of like, I just want people to have community with it. It's, mm -hmm. it's like your podcast is showing us, this is something that affects everybody in some way. If you don't have a diagnosis, you know somebody who does. Yeah. And we are a community. And I think more than ever in this world, we're seeing that we have to be responsible in our actions to help others. Mm -hmm. um, we can be responsible in helping a friend with a diagnosis. Mm -hmm. We can help ourselves. Like, is this a conversation you should have with your partner tonight? Like, hey, this is kind of awkward, but if one of us were to get a diagnosis, how do we help each other? How do you, how do you go through that? Jess, you and Chris probably had that at some point. Yeah. I, I mean, like Chris went above and beyond for being there for me. Like I, I, I didn't um, require him to be there for my phone call for the cancer diagnosis or, you know, any, any of the appointments or anything like that, but you know, he's in it a hundred percent and he's blown me away, like above and beyond, like anything you could think of to have like the support of family, friends, a partner is, you know, is all the difference. Yeah. It's huge. Yeah. Um, my boyfriend at the time decided he couldn't deal with 
a cancer diagnosis and stepped away from us. Um, and I remember coming out of my mastectomy a few days later and he had apparently dropped off an Xbox so I could watch movies in my bedroom while I healed. Um, like I said, relationships were going to change. Like he didn't ask to be in that situation, which is fine. I, I get it. Any less. <laughs> didn't make you any less sad. Yeah. It still hurt. Um, oh, yeah. So, but at that same time for my husband and I, this is something that we've talked about a lot. Like, especially when we got pregnant, like what happens if our kid gets a diagnosis or what happens if one of us ends up sick or paralyzed or anything? Like we've had this conversation a lot. It, it sounds, it sounds dark and morbid, but let's say we end up in the emergency room tonight. Like I know that he and I can pull through it together mm-hmm. because we've had the conversation about how to support each other and how to be there for each other. Mm-hmm. Doesn't mean it wouldn't be hard, oh, no. but I think we could do it as a team. And yeah. I think that's really important. If you have a partner, talk to them about it. Um, if you, if you don't have a partner you live with or are very close to talk, talk about it with your parents or your close friends or your roommate from college, whoever that person might be. Mm-hmm. Um, it just, it's, there's something comforting in knowing that that person you're with would help you and is going to no help you. What? Yeah. No matter what. Yeah. No matter what. Yeah. No matter what. It's a huge ask, but yeah. um, that's part of those relationships changing. It's either going to deepen it to a level you didn't know existed or um, it's going to go by the wayside and it's mm-hmm. going to happen. Yeah. No matter well, what. You know, that it goes to show like it, it, what cancer or not, like, you know, as you get older, you go throughout life and you have these experiences, you know, like your, your friendship circle changes and you learn from failed relationships and apply it to, to new ones. And it really makes you appreciate the relationships that you're in now and the people that you're friends with now, because you've been through a lot of shit and like, you've had some terrible relationships or, you know, people who couldn't handle yeah. a tough time. So they weren't meant to be with you. Yeah. It's, just to be able to find that person, that partner in crime, that family member, whoever it is, a true partner is always going to be there. Like no questions asked. Yeah, totally. Yeah. It's also interesting that you become that person for others. Yeah. Um, I'm going to tear up again. I didn't realize it was so emotional for me visiting all of it. Um, (laughs) I remember being in an airport in, in Tennessee or yeah, Tennessee. And this lady in front of me, I was getting a coffee or something and she had a, a pink shirt on mm-hmm. and a pink bracelet and pink shoelaces. Uh, and I was like, that's a lot of pink. And she goes, yeah, I just finished my last chemo. Um, I had breast cancer and I looked at her and I just grabbed her hand and she was probably in her seventies. Like she didn't know me from anything. I grabbed her hand and then we just hugged in the middle of this Starbucks line at the airport. People walked around us. Um, but I didn't, in that moment, like I had a community of this person and she had me and um, had I not had my own diagnosis, I wouldn't have known that it's okay to hug a stranger, that it's okay not to say anything, but just to hold each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and you never know when you're going to need that extra support. Mm-hmm. You never know when that's going to come back and hit you in the face. Like you had just heard that diagnosis. Um, but I was so grateful that I got to meet her and just hold her for, you know, the two minutes that we did. Um, and I was that person and I don't know if she needed the extra boost or not. Turns out I did. Cause I think I bawled for like half the flight just in remembering that 
you don't have to know what to say. Sometimes you just have to be there. I love that. I didn't know that story. That's the first time I heard yeah. that one. Yeah. She was cute too. I mean, she had to have been in her seventies, like just head to toe pink, everything. I love it. So it was cute. <laughs> well, you, you, you made a huge impact to her on that day and she obviously still has impacted your life too. Definitely. So definitely goes yeah. both ways. And you know, like you said, you don't know where you're going to find that community. It doesn't necessarily have to be like another cancer survivor, but like yeah. to have, you know, be able to, to help somebody, even if it's in the middle of a Starbucks line at an airport. <laughs> totally. I love it. I never know. <laughs> That's so great. Oh my goodness. It's, um, it's changed other relationships too. I think like, I think my family for the first time just started saying, I love you at the end of phone calls. Uh, my little brother, he's like, love you, sis, at the end of every phone call now. And I don't know that he and I ever once said that to each other. Um, my parents now get their annual tests that they're supposed to get for their age group. And I appreciate that. Like, they're looking out. I think preventative care is so important. Um, and it's not going to catch everything. It's not going to stop everything. But um, I appreciate that my family says, you know, this really sucked. Let's let's try to help ourselves and help our family and, and avoid that if possible. Um, and Mark too, like my husband, he, you know, he's always on his parents about getting their tests done and he's looking at his and just, I think that preventative care is, is really important. And it also allows you to find that doctor you really trust. Mm-hmm. Um, before you get to that point where you, you need to have that conversation with someone. Mm-hmm. It's definitely a ripple effect. It directly impacts like the people around you. Um, for me, it's Justina. She's had, um, her thyroid's been like, she's had a a big nodule on her thyroid for a while and hasn't checked it in a while. And I was like, please go check your neck. (laughs) And she got a biopsy and it came back negative. It was all good, but it's just like everybody around you kind of starts paying a little bit more attention to their health and it might be short lived. It might be long lived, but especially for me, I know the people that I care about are taking steps to take care of themselves. And, yeah. it's, and it's funny you say about the I love you thing with your brother. Like my sister and I actually, like, we never really said it growing up. I yeah. love her. Sure. It wasn't like getting off the phone, like, you know, I love you. Bye. Yeah. After this, like the, it kind of changed. Yeah. We, we started saying I love you and been a lot yeah. closer and everything like that. Cause well, she also had her thyroid out, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's kind of crazy how it changes your relationships throughout. Sure. Good and bad. It's, uh, I think we hear this all the time, but it's sad when something gets to that point to make you appreciate what you have. Um, but for me, that has been a silver lining. Like the people in my life are people who I, I know are, are with me through it all. Um, I'm able to say, I love you to people and not be like, not make awkward finger gun motions while I say it. Or <laughs> I'm genuinely appreciative for what I have and everything I've, I've been able to do since my diagnosis. Um, and how I've been able to trust and communicate with people too, that's totally changed. Like, I don't think if I had met my husband before, I would have been as honest with myself or been able to communicate as well with him as we do. Um, because I didn't know how to before. And that's, that's something that's really changed for me. It's, um, I know to express myself. I know what to say. Um, and that's going down like a whole different tangent, but, um, cancer for me, it made me a better communicator. Cause I realized I had to be able to say 
you know, I'm scared or I, I really appreciate you. Please hang out a little bit longer or something. Yeah. So. Yeah. Or if there's, if there's something that you need, you're not afraid to ask for it. Totally. And I think, um, in, like you said, it's unfortunate for, you know, like a, a life altering thing to happen for changes like that to make for yourself, for people mm -hmm. around you, whatever it is. But if you can just hold on to that and remember, you know, like we only have this one life, we only have this one body, like yeah. we're going to make the most of it, communicate, we're going to treat other people well, we're going to try to make somebody's day, like just remember, like the person next to you might be acting like an asshole, but they're probably having a really bad day. Yeah. So it's, it's definitely just, taught me patience for others because yeah. I, I know I, I would have just like days where I'd be bawling or mm -hmm. completely like tucked into myself and not wanting to communicate with others. And I, I know I pushed people away, um, but hopefully I'm to that point where I'm able to say, yeah, I'd, I, here's what I want out of my life at this point and here's what I'm going to do to get it and to honor myself and to honor my family, to honor my body. Mm -hmm. um, and, and just to take what happened, what it was in stride. Like I, I think I mentioned this, like my, my boobs look crazy now. Like there's scars all over them. Um, they're implants. I had great boobs before I do miss them by the way. Um, but you know, every day I'm reminded that I had this diagnosis and I sort of wear it as like a That's badge of honor, I guess. Like, yeah. you know, I, I went through this and I came out on the other side and I'm okay now. Um, I don't know. I don't know where I was going with that. I had a thought, but I lost it. So I like it still. Okay. <laughs> I got lost too, because I was just like, yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. Totally. Oh my goodness. Well, I, I feel like we covered everything I wanted to cover is like you said, you, you write mostly about it. Um, do, do you post these writings anywhere or like, do you have, do you recommend any resources for people just diagnosed with cancer or somebody who's a cancer survivor or, or a family member or friend or something like that? Like anything that helped you or helped your family? Yeah, there's, um, there's a Huff Post article and it's, it's several years old at this point, um, but it's called things I wish I knew before I was diagnosed with cancer. Um, and I'll, I'll send you the link to it. Maybe you can post it. Yeah. Um, but it was just this brilliantly written article about all the emotions you're going to face if and when you ever get a diagnosis. Um, and it, it hits the nail on the head for everything. Things I wish I knew before I was diagnosed. Mm -hmm. um, but it talks about don't go on the internet for anything. I, I cannot stress that enough. If mm -hmm. you've gotten a diagnosis, do not Google anything. Um, find a doctor you love. If you do not wholeheartedly love the doctor standing in front of you, as you're talking about what's happening, find a new one. This has to be a person you trust in completely. And like we said, it has to be somebody you find comfort in. Mm -hmm. uh, this is a really hard, dark road. Find that light who's going to help walk you down that. Um, your relationships are going to change. Um, and some days that's going to be the hardest part about it. Um, but know that that's okay. And at the end of the day, when all of this is over and you're on the other side of it, it's okay that those relationships changed because they changed in a good way. Um, and I think lastly, um, people aren't going to know how to respond and that's okay. Mm -hmm. 
And I think what you need to do is just know how you're feeling in this and know that people are trying. Um, and if you get a text that says, what can I do to help you? Give an honest answer. Tell them you need ice cream. Tell them you need a pedicure. Tell them you need somebody to come to your laundry. Um, Cause your energy is going to be different. You're going to have a different level of energy than you used to. Mm -hmm. And it's going to feel weird. You're going to want to do all the things that you used to. And, and for a while you just can't. Um, so when people ask, let them in, let them help you. Um, I, I joined a few local organizations um, as I navigated through this and I just started making connections. And for me, I didn't have a, um, a formal place I went to for advice or support, but I just started making connections with women um, in my life or women in other people's lives. There was some men in there too with a breast cancer diagnosis, but we just started talking to each other. Um, and I started putting my, my number out there. If, if you knew anybody and they wanted help, like have them call me. And I genuinely meant that. And I think um, last year I met almost 20 women through that. And we, we still talk and it's, people just don't know where to go when they get a diagnosis. Um, and I, I think it's really important that you have that conversation now so you know who, who you wanna lean on mm -hmm. um, if you ever get that diagnosis. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's some great so, advice. Thanks. Yeah. <laughs> it's scary though, I get it. it um, it's a trip for sure. So be patient with yourself. Be patient with those who want to help you mm -hmm. and just know that, you know, it's, I don't know. I don't know where I'm going with that. <laughs> yeah. Well, you're, you're kind of saying, know that you're not alone. And, you know, yeah. it's unfortunately now it's, you know, we're, we're young and we know so many people with cancer, cancer survivors. Mm -hmm lost their battle with cancer and um, just, just knowing that this is your body of one life to live and, you know, do the best that you can. Yeah, totally. And your, your body and your cancer are totally unique to you. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. So find a doctor you love and work with them through this process. Perfect. Jess, I love you. I love you. <laughs> You're so beautiful inside and out. Thank you for doing this with me. I loved it. I appreciate it. Um, I think any chance we have to help others in this, to understand it, to navigate it, um, I think it's really important. And I love that you found an avenue for working through this with your own diagnosis. I think that's so important as well. Thank you. So I'm glad you're doing this. Thank you. I am too. And I'm, I'm glad that I'm able to share other people's stories and hopefully provide a platform for other people to listen to and to reach out and share their story too. Yeah. So, well, thank you, Joe, for, for coming on with me and being my, my second interview and, and sharing your story with us and, and just how far you've come from beginning to present. 
Yeah. So, um, I hope, uh, the listeners got a lot out of it and I'll, I'll share some photos. Go ahead. And if you, any photos you want to send over, I'll, yeah. Oh, hey girl. <laughs> uh, I'll share some photos on, um, my social media. Uh, hopefully I'll get my website up running a little bit better, but, um, and then the resources that, that you provide too. So, mm-hmm. and then, you know, like hopefully this, this will touch somebody and, you know, yeah. like kind of just pay it forward and, and help somebody else out. So anything else, Joe? I love you. I love having a great conversation with you. It was fun. I've never talked with you in depth about it. You know, like I've I've got nuggets here and there, but Mm -hmm. to, to hear your story and your, your outlook and, and what you're going through, like inside, as well as with, uh, with family and friends and relationships too. Yeah, it's a trip. Yeah, it's uh, it's a lot to process. Ten years later, I think I'm still processing it. So, mm-hmm. um, it's with me forever now. Yeah, and I am grateful for it. Yeah, it doesn't define you, but it's a part of you. Totally, yeah. totally, totally. All right. Well, thank you again for coming on, and um, thank you everyone for listening to this episode of My Cancer Story podcast. And uh, stay tuned uh, for. Uh, interview hopefully coming up within the next month and there you have it guys that is my second interview in the books thank you so much for bearing with me I'm getting a little bit better each time hopefully the next interview will be even better Uh, thank you to Joanne Warner for spending the time with me to tell me her cancer story you know it's always such a treat to be able to chat with her in general but to actually hear her full story which we've never talked about before Um, if you're interested in the resources that she shared throughout our interview I will be posting that within the podcast credits as well as on my social media platforms for my cancer story podcast stay tuned next month i will have a brand new interview for you all uh, also a cancer story but as told from a different perspective it is from a family member this time around uh, so stay tuned thank you guys so much again for your support and for listening to my cancer story podcast I now have been approved through iHeart Media so you can now find my cancer story podcast on iHeart Radio Spotify as well as the iTunes podcast so subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts any little bit helps and I really appreciate everyone's support out there um, so yeah stay tuned. Thanks again, guys. Have a safe and healthy rest of your May. And I look forward to seeing you guys next month in June. Thanks again. Have a good one.